Welcome to COVID Conspiracies. I'm your host, Monique Baudin. As the coronavirus spread around the world over the past year, something else spread along with it, conspiracy theories. You'd see them on Facebook, or maybe your family or friends shared them with you. Even political leaders sometimes spread them. There's a long history of conspiracy theories flourishing in human society. It's part of the way we cope with new information. In today's episode, the Windsor Star's Dalson Chen is back to look at COVID conspiracies and where they came from. You can subscribe to COVID Conspiracies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard the one about COVID-19 being created by billionaire Bill Gates to force vaccinations and insert trackable microchips into people? Or how about the one that says the coronavirus was caused by 5G or that vaccines will change your DNA? It's old news at this point that conspiracy theories have flourished in the time of the novel coronavirus, but if you've somehow never encountered them before, it's understandable if your immediate impressions of them, as a rational person, are that they're too farcical or outlandish to be believable. And yet these ideas have taken hold in a very real way. According to a YouGov poll last spring, as much as 28% of Americans believe the microchip theory, which leads to a natural question. Just where is this stuff coming from? It is kind of one of the first questions, of course. You're like, where is this coming from? Like, why is this here now? And and what do we do with it now that it's in our laps? John Bodner is an associate professor and program chair of social cultural studies at the Grenfell campus of Memorial University in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. He's a folklorist and co-author of the recently published book, COVID-19 Conspiracies, QAnon, 5G, The New World Order, and Other Viral Ideas. One of our previous podcast guests, Anna Muldoon, who spoke with us on the history of the anti-vaccine movement, is also among the co-authors of the book. In Professor Bodner's research for the book, he's been diving into the world of modern COVID-19 conspiracies and investigating the complex answer about their origins. So if we take a look at conspiracy theories, they kind of belong to a grouping of genres, um, sort of narratives that are related to rumor and um, contemporary legends. Some people call them urban legends, you know, the alligators in the sewer, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, stories like that. They're not really exotically strange creatures. In fact, if you think about how often like you hear and communicate yourself rumors yourself, and how you try to understand ambiguous events, what you'll find is that contemporary legend, rumor, and conspiracy theory are actually quite common. They're sort of part of the way that human communities have historically and today tried to process ambiguous events. And obviously a pandemic is going to be an ambiguous event that causes quite a bit of stress and strain. So maybe we can understand conspiracy theories as being a part of everyday folklore, a predictable human psychological response. But how does someone go from being a person trying to make sense of ambiguity to being a true believer? Let's consider one of the biggest, most baffling, and most prevalent suites of conspiracy theories, QAnon. It predates the COVID-19 pandemic, but shares many of the same traits and overlaps with the more recent conspiracy theories. I will admit that it is very difficult to summarize, but I will 
try my best. So to begin with, QAnon is what um, some people would describe as a super conspiracy. And that means that it isn't actually one thing. It's actually made up of a kind of agglomeration of a number of independent conspiracy theories that it's kind of co-opted and absorbed into this giant shambling monster of a conspiracy theory. In this convoluted QAnon behemoth, Bodner can point out two predominant themes, the deep state and save the children. QAnon begins largely as what's called a political conspiracy theory. And so the presumption is that there exists um, at the time of the election of Donald Trump a deep state and that the real masters of the universe, the real masters and controllers of America aren't the elected officials, but a kind of cabal that exists within uh, the White House in Washington, which secretly has co-opted the nation state for their own purposes. So Donald Trump is working in secret inside of the belly of the beast in order to expose the tyranny of whatever nefarious actors are around. There are all of these kinds of threats that pop up over and over again in American history of these kind of secret societies that are attempting to seize the state or on the verge of seizing the state. So there's a really interesting moment in the late 18th century of these things called the Illuminati panics. And everybody who has a passing interest in the conspiracy theories know the Illuminati. They're one of the great historic boogeymen um, of the New World Order and of these secret cabals to control things. The Illuminati may be an old fable, but the deep state part of QAnon was actually conjured up after its other, more hysterical theme, which arose in 2016 that the children must be saved. And it gets spun into, again, a political conspiracy theory that there is a secret cabal of uh, Democrats and uh, ruling elites who are also Satanists, and they are running an international child trafficking ring. As it began to grow, QAnon started making headlines in legitimate news organizations, especially when it started compelling real-world actions with fatal consequences, such as the storming of the U.S. Capitol buildings in Washington, D.C. on January 6. QAnon believers are also active in spreading COVID conspiracy theories online, with some experts saying they've incorporated misinformation about the pandemic into their anti-establishment rhetoric. As QAnon goes mainstream and starts moving out of like the chans and fairly obscure parts of the internet and moves on to places like Facebook and YouTube, um, it gets picked up by an unlikely group, which is called Q-Boomers, right? So older people uh, who are starting to uh, absorb these conspiracy theories and bring them into their own purview and then use them again. One of our hypotheses in the book is that the curious thing is that Q-Boomers, of course, live through the satanic panics. It might seem ludicrous now, but in the United States in the 1980s, it was a tidal wave of moral concern among parents that their children were being recruited for satanic ritual abuse. And it was all somehow related to heavy metal music, album covers, horror movies, and fantasy role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. As quaint as such fears sound almost 40 years later, the panic was real. There were government hearings and court cases. But they certainly, the satanic panics um, and the idea that there was a number of Satanists roaming around the countryside imperiling our children was a curious moment, obviously, um, to live through. But it really shows you the enduring quality of these stories. 
and also how pernicious they can be. I mean, we've got to remember that some of the people that were caught up in the satanic panics in the 80s and 90s, I'm thinking of Dan and Fran Keller down in Texas, they served 21 years falsely accused of crimes against children. Just as there were people in the 1980s who were seriously worried about their good Christian kids being corrupted by Iron Maiden lyrics, there are people today who have been primed by certain belief systems to be more susceptible to COVID-19 conspiracy theories. And now with the power of the internet and social media, it's never been easier to propagate baseless and harmful ideas. We do have a problem with these echo chambers and we do have a problem with penetrating these media bubbles. So you can consume a conspiracy theory through a meme, like just an image. You can consume a conspiracy theory through like, you know, five or 10 word statement or a cute little infographic or a, or a YouTube video. Belief lies at the heart of these narratives. And we tend to consume things, obviously, that conform to our worldview. They just seem to make more sense. And so this is one of the places where we begin to latch on to and lock into these. It can be dangerous because conspiracy theories and contemporary legends tend to identify a scapegoat, a they, a them. And so they tend to make it difficult for people to, say, grapple with events or phenomenon uh, that they really should grapple with, that they really need to find solutions to. And instead, they find a set of false solutions. This obviously is a danger in a pandemic. And finally, I think on the interpersonal level, what we're seeing with something like, say, QAnon, is that deep involvement in conspiracy theories can become part of one's personal and group identity, and it can fracture families and your social relations. And it can drive a real serious and abiding wedge between people. Scholars like Bodner aren't the only ones who recognize the damage that conspiracy theories can cause. Intelligence agencies like CSIS have warned that foreign national interests, namely Russia and China, have been promoting conspiracy theories online and elsewhere as part of organized disinformation campaigns meant to disrupt and divide their competition, namely Western democracies. That's right, there's a real conspiracy behind conspiracy theories. All of us eventually will sound like conspiracy theorists if you hang out with them long enough. One of the most effective um, Soviet-era disinformation campaigns was the uh, advancement of the idea that AIDS and H HIV AIDS was manufactured in Fort Detrick and was unleashed in the world as a bioweapon. And it was, you know, a campaign that was incredibly successful, uh, started in 1984 and supported and kept running for years. If you want to destabilize people, it really helps if you get them not trust each other and not trust um, normative channels of information. At this point, it's safe to say everyone has heard of some of the COVID-19 conspiracy theories that have been circulating. A significant theme among them is the idea that there's a plan behind the pandemic, hence the portmanteau plandemic. Just like QAnon, it is an overarching concept and seeks to explain real-world events as being controlled by shadowy players with nefarious goals. Ricky Green is studying the psychology of conspiracy theories for his PhD at the University of Kent. I think like the main theme of the COVID conspiracy theories as well has been like the fact that some people think that this is a way to take uh, for global domination, global control, and it's like uh, kind of latched onto you know older conspiracy theories about new world order and and global domination. Tim Caulfield is the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta 
and the author of Relax, Damn It. He says a great example of the COVID-19 conspiracy theory reflex is the Bill Gates conspiracy theory. One of the reasons I love that one is it, it it's so, I mean, that's a hardcore conspiracy theory, right? It's the idea that Bill Gates started the pandemic in order to force vaccination so he can put microchips in all of us and monitor our our behavior. But if you believe the research, at least 28% of Americans believe that conspiracy theory, or at least open to it. Another one, the 5G conspiracy theory. We asked him for the simple version of that one and how it somehow involves 5G towers and wireless technology. There's a lot to unpack here. It is the idea that the the pandemic was caused not by a virus, uh, but by 5G technology. So the idea that these towers go up around the world and somehow that these towers are causing causing the illness. So that's sort of the the pure version of the conspiracy theory. And then there's the you know sort of a softer version of, but still biologically absurd, that the 5G technologist is just making the pandemic worse. Like many conspiracy theories, there's an element of believability. Similar to the theory that the moon landing was faked, true believers can point to some element, say the flag not waving in the moon landing video, to justify it. And the way it was originally justified is that there was supposed to be a correlation between the existence of these towers and, and the spreading of, of the disease. And what's fascinating is uh, the correlation isn't there. <laughs> so that's, it's just wrong on its face. So even, even this weak correlation isn't there. So maybe it's understandable if someone believes in the 5G theory. They see a map or diagram on Facebook and suddenly they think, oh my God, it's not a virus, it's 5G even if the whole thing is biologically absurd. But that's not all that's out there. Carmen Celestini is an instructor at the University of Waterloo and a postdoctoral fellow with the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism. She talks about a conspiracy theory called Blue Beam, a super conspiracy theory that has its roots in Canada, thanks to a Quebecois journalist named Serge Manast. It's got everything. New World Order, religion, the Antichrist. And Blue Beam is something that actually initiated in Canada, in Montreal, with a journalist in the 90s who um, claimed to have gotten um, papers from journalists internationally and from ex-political people that explained that what was happening was the creation of a new world order. According to Blue Beam, when the time comes, there will be symbols, signals of the government beginning its new world order. One of these symbols is a pandemic meant to keep people isolated in their homes. The New World Order is an old boogeyman. It's why there have been conspiracy theories for generations about the United Nations. It's why the Great Reset is being wrapped up into conspiracy theory. But Bluebeam goes a bit further. And in the end, what's going to happen is that um, they're going to use technology and create a blue beam in the sky, which will have all of the religious prophets and God and Jesus um, and have them speak in the sky as sort of like a hologram and say that they were wrong and that religion was articulated incorrectly. And so with that, um, they will create a new religion that will have the Antichrist as um, who we will worship and who we will be slaves to, and that he will take over and that will be the new world order with all of us worshiping the Antichrist. Blue beams, God holograms, and Antichrist worship notwithstanding, the big question remains, where do these ideas come from? 
do they organically arise from the primordial swamp of the internet? Or are conspiracy theory crafters pushing them out for entrepreneurial purposes? Mike Biddleston, who is another PhD student at the University of Kent studying conspiracy beliefs, has an answer. Unsurprisingly, it's not totally clear. The answer, um, kind of annoyingly, is both, I guess. But um, I think probably most often they do come about organically and they kind of take their own form as a, an entity, as its own belief that then gets refined, you know, by uh, people sharing it online, for example. Uh, but that being said, you know, um, I think that conspiracy entrepreneurs can kind of top down, come up with these conspiracy theories, which they then purposefully disseminate into the population. A distinction can be made between misinformation, false or incorrect information that is spread regardless of intent, and disinformation false or incorrect information that is deliberately deceiving. The reality that COVID-19 conspiracy theories could themselves be part of political engineering or weaponized disinformation brings up an uncomfortable point. Real conspiracies do exist. The Tuskegee syphilis study was a real medical experiment undertaken by the US federal government on unsuspecting African Americans with horrific results. Project MKUltra involved real psychological experimentation and torture by the CIA. The Watergate scandal involved real criminal acts personally approved by the President of the United States. And before these things were in the history books, they were just wild stories. They were theories. So despite their danger, is there value in conspiracy theories? Is there potential for truth? And how do we tell the difference between what's real and what's irrational? Again, I, I wish I had a very good explanation for that. Obviously, as you pointed out, there have been conspiracies. There have been, you know, the, the false flags, you know, and there have been things that our government or organizations have done in order to try to influence the course of everyday life and events. And sometimes these have been quite nefarious. One of the things that I liked that a scientist wrote recently was that the difference between conspiracy theories and scientific theories is that scientific theories tell you what the limits of them are. Nobody says, I have a theory of everything, right? They actually try to say, this is the extent of what I can explain with my theory. And they always open up and have the possibility that it can be disproven. The problem with conspiracy theories is that they purport and they exclaim that they have explained everything. The, the COVID time has brought out so many grifters and so many people trying to get you to believe absolute BS. Next week, my colleague Jennifer Beeman will explore just why people have become susceptible to conspiracy theories during the pandemic. Reporting for this episode of COVID Conspiracies was by Dalson Chen and Tyler Dawson. Narration by Dalson Chen. Our producers are Carson Jarama, Jacob Dubé, and Bryce Hall. Original music and artwork by Bryce Hall. I'm your host, Monique Bode. Thanks for listening.